I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. We have officially reached the halfway point of season four, and it is time for us to do a little recap of my favorite episodes from this season. Doing three episodes a week means some of the favorite episodes do get lost, so we're bringing them back to make sure they get heard and seen. So that will be the second and third weeks of July. We're dedicating all of our episodes to making sure some of the best ones get heard, and our regular programming will resume July 24th. As always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you. Thank you so much for being here. Hello friends, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited that you're here. If you're new here, I'm Sarah Jane Case. This is Enneagram and Coffee, and we talk about all things self-care, personal growth, and creativity. And you know, we have a good time. I think it's fun. It's here every single day, five days a week, so you can listen on your commute while you have your coffee. And we just hang out and kind of have a continual conversation on what it means to be a human doing our best. So Today, I uh, I have to tell you that I got a haircut that I hate. <laughs> um, I don't like to get my hair cut. I have always had long hair. And, and because I think like when you have long hair, you can kind of get away with not getting your hair cut very often. Um, and maybe you've seen me and you're like, no, you can't. <laughs> but from my perspective... I, I go for as long as I can, okay? And it's usually like a year, maybe two years, like I'm saying as long as I can. And um, I got my hair cut in like a year and a half ago. And it was the first time I've ever gotten my hair cut that I didn't cry or I wasn't like <laughs> sad. And it's not, it's not what you think. It's not like I'm so attached to having long hair that like any amount cut off is like unbearable for me. It's not that. It's like, it's more like it's never where I want to be spending my money, okay? It's never the place. I so value people who do this for a living because it's basically like being the graphic designer of someone's face. I'm going to put some context to that sentence. I hear that it makes no sense. So when I was working as a business coach, Every single client that I had, and I'm not kidding, every single client that I had, had a very similar experience at some point during our working together. And it's that they would send off, like there, they would hire a graphic designer, they would tell the graphic designer what they wanted, and the graphic designer would send back their proofs. And then my client would cry because, or, you know, be really upset or be very concerned, consider firing the graphic designer. And it's not because the graphic designer did a bad job. It's because the practice of communicating a visual thing from your head, something that you can see as a picture in your mind to the head of another person through limited language without just making it yourself to show them what you want, right? It's an impossible expectation. And I feel for graphic designers because that is a very hard job. And people often would get really upset because they didn't know how to communicate the changes they wanted to be made on the items. You know, we'd have to find the language together. All of that to say, I feel like being a hairstylist is the same thing, but for 
a face. You know, it's like, I'm telling you what I want, but you're having to kind of, I'm showing you a picture, but it's like on a different hair type and a different face shape. And you, maybe you've never done that haircut before and you're having to like navigate what I have in my brain into from like what I'm trying, my limited ability to express it and express myself, let's be honest, and then give it to me. <laughs> like, that's very hard, okay? It's, and if if you're like me and you go to get your hair cut once every year, two years, then you don't really have time to like build a dynamic with a hairstylist to where you have like a relationship where they like know that you didn't like last time. You know what I mean? I feel like I was, if I was going more often, my hairstylist would like know me and they would know what I like and don't like. They would have like a sense of what didn't work for me this time and then not do it next time, right? But because I'm so sporadic, that doesn't happen. And so I had a haircut that I just really didn't like and I get why it happened. Like through the pictures that I showed, I can see how we got where we are. But mm, it's just not for me. And as someone who has to film themselves every single day um, for something, it is, uh, you know, it's jarring. I'm not going to lie. And it's expensive to not like your face. <laughs> it's like really expensive to just not like your, not like the way you look in the mirror. Um, and not from like a self-deprecating place of like, I don't like myself, but more just like, I think the girl gave me a mullet. I'm just going to say, I think she gave me a mullet. And the thing is I live in a, in a city where mullets are pretty popular here. Okay. It's like a, um, not like a country thing. It's like a, a grunge kind of vibe, you know? So I can get why they might've even thought I wanted a mullet, but I, it's just not me, you know? It's not my vibe. And um, I don't know what to do because I am, like, the nine in me, which we'll talk about it today a little bit, <laughs> the nine in me is very triggered because I think I should speak up. I should probably go back and be like, hey, can we fix this? Um, but the nine in me does not want to do it. Like, I want to just take it. <laughs> and wait till it grows out and move on, do the best that I can with what I've got. Um, so that's interesting, but yeah, that's, what's on my mind right now. It feels really vain to talk about, honestly. And I always feel like a little kid when I'm sad about a haircut, but you know, it is what it is. And it's your one and only face. So <laughs> it, it, you know, it kind of reminds me of like, when you're working in the service industry and you have a couple that comes in and they're very picky about everything, I often, I remember feeling like, oh, these are people who maybe like don't go out very much and this is like really precious to them, right? Like this experience means more to them because they're not like going out as much. The stakes are way higher. And that's kind of how it is for me with a haircut. Like, I get my haircut once every year, every two years. So, like, the stakes are way higher than if I were, like, going more often. But I can't, I don't know how people afford it. Like, I can't afford, like, $100 every, like, two weeks or every two two months. I mean, I could, I guess. It's just not where I, like, I could, like, take it from 
ordering food out, but I don't want to. I'd rather have dumplings sent to my house. You know what I mean? That's that's just me. Anyway, that's what's on my mind today. But today, we are actually starting a new series. It's our first one of the debunking self-help myths, where we talk about common ways of approaching self-help and why they're wrong in my personal opinion, slash some other people's opinions that I will also bring in to the conversation via their words, not not actually like interviews, probably. Anyway, you can submit your own myths that you would like to be debunked. Just like think maybe myths you've heard or seen, but also stories that you tell yourself. Like if you tell yourself you have to be a morning person in order to be, you know, get any work done, Whatever kind of stories you're telling yourself, send those in as myths and I will debunk them for you. So today's myth we are debunking is the myth that you are your personality type. So whether that's the Enneagram, your attachment style, human design, or any other way that we seek to understand ourselves in the world. But first I wanted just to do like a little bit of an exercise together. So just take a moment to be here with me. Take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. Maybe relax your shoulders, unclench your jaw. Notice what sensations are, you know, in your shoulders, in your back, in your hips. Notice how your body is being supported on by the earth. How does it feel to have something under you that is supporting you, holding you up. And then I want you to think about a time where you felt like you had to be perfect. When your standard was so high and you felt like no matter what you do, you're going to fall short or you can never quite get it right. Think about a time where you felt unappreciated. Like you just wanted to feel loved or know that they liked you. Can you think about a time where you worried that you weren't going to be good enough? That you would try, but what if you failed? Or a time where you wanted deeply to be understood and seen to the depths of which you're able to see yourself by another person. A time where you feared depletion, worrying that you didn't have what you needed in order to do what you had to do. Or a time where you were concerned that you would disappoint the people who love you the most. That by doing what you needed to do for yourself, you would be letting them down. Or a time where you feared that if you let yourself feel your negative emotions, that they would eat you alive. That you would never get back out to feel happiness ever again. 
maybe a time where you were concerned for your safety, or maybe when you have felt betrayed by a friend or a family member. And finally, consider a time where you didn't speak up when perhaps you knew that you should. I'm feeling a little bit called out by that last one uh, when it comes to the haircuts. Now, in these moments, right, these kind of glimpses of times where we felt these feelings, we found the part in each of us that resonates with each Enneagram type, right? We kind of put down a touchstone with the pain point of each type. So I want us to kind of hold that with us, our capacity to embody all of the types as we move into our discussion today. So today's myth, right, is that you are your personality type. And we have so many different ways of categorizing ourselves, right? Like we have the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, attachment style. We have introverted, extroverted, ambiverted. You know, am I a people person or am I a stoic? We have all of these like titles and categorizations. And so I chose this myth first because we've been doing so much Enneagram work here over the years. And one of the things I see the most is either people embracing their type to the point where it becomes kind of simply an excuse or a reason for why we are the way we are. So it's just kind of like, oh, well, I did that because I'm a seven. <laughs> so cute. Um, or a rejection of our type so that we try to be anything but our type. Um, meaning, okay, anything about being a seven is bad or wrong. So I should not try to make myself happy or I should never practice gratitude um, because that's part of my type structure. And I've seen this so much in my life and in the lives of others that I even wrote my entire last book in opposition to it, right? So I'm going to read to you a little bit from the introduction of the Enneagram letters for a moment because it is so much a part of this conversation. As life moves forward, we collect titles like categorization lint rollers. Every choice we make adds another clarifier onto our personality, parent, child, spouse, student, employee, type A, type B, introvert, extrovert, what you want to be when you grow up, what you do for a living, and so on. Grabbing them up unconsciously and consciously, adding to the way we see and express ourselves, adding to how others see and understand us, at times, this feels useful. We're given a sense of understanding of not being alone. It provides language for how we tell people who we are. Hi, I'm Sarah Jane, a stepmom, business owner, and extrovert who prefers to be alone and loves good coffee. This starts to take the place of getting to know one another and ourselves in intricate and complex ways. These categories so easily go from helpful to stifling in a matter of moments, no longer making us feel known and instead doing the opposite telling us who we are even when we've moved beyond it or no longer experience ourselves that way. The magic of the Enneagram is not in finding ourselves in the numbers, but rather in recognizing that the things we thought we had to be were never ours to carry. There is a tremendous amount of relief available to us when we choose to allow ourselves the full range of the human experience, to operate from all nine types and all three centers. 
This compilation of poems and essays is here as what I hope to be a soothing balm to the part of you that feels pressured to be perfect, lovable, successful, significant, capable, supported, happy, strong, or easy to get along with in order to have a place on earth where you belong. It's like the chrysalis and the butterfly, assuming that there was nothing, never anything wrong with the caterpillar. When we live inside of the constraints of our Enneagram type, we are settling for a life in a cocoon, safe, purposeful, and limited. This book is a compilation of poems and essays written to the nine different pressures of the Enneagram, the things we think we have to be in life in order to be worthy of love, success, or safety. We explore the idea that we each in our own way and to varying degrees experience the gravity of these nine pressures, perfection, likability, success, significance, competence, support, happiness, strength, and easygoingness. Our Enneagram type is the gift we've given ourselves, an attempt to stay safe. It's a beautiful thing that has supported us thus far in life, but at some point, it's time to let it go in order to recognize that what has served us is no longer what we need. Okay, and at this point, you might be saying, okay, Sarah Jane, like, I don't get the problem, though. Like, I am who I am. Shouldn't I just like that? Or maybe you're someone who's like, I am who I am. Shouldn't I just fix that? And to that, I say, like, I get it. I get what you're saying, but I want to talk about why this doesn't work, right? Number one, we ignore the harm that we cause ourselves and others. If we just go, like, I am what I am, we limit our access to growth, right? We say, yep, whatever I am, whatever I do, like, that's what you're working with. And when we say that to ourselves, Maybe we are self-neglecting, maybe we're self-criticizing, maybe we're, not, we're putting off the things that really matter to us, maybe we're preventing ourselves from personal intimacy, you know, intimacy with other people, maybe, it, you know, how we harm others, maybe we are unconsciously selfish, maybe we are unconsciously cruel, maybe we are in the name of being boundaried, we are cutting people off from our love. So paying attention to who we are and where we want to be and how we want to be helps us to cause less harm. The second is that we limit our access to intimacy with ourselves and others, right? If I say I am who I am and, and that who I am is this persona, right? If we remember that these pers- our personality isn't who we are at the core of our being, our personality is how we've protected ourselves, right? Our Enneagram type specifically is how we have guarded ourselves so far. You know, type ones guard themselves through constant reforming. Type twos guard themselves by never having needs or not expressing those needs. Type threes guard themselves through vanity and and accomplishment. And so we like all have our way of which we guard ourselves. The true self is inside of the armor that is our Enneagram type. And so if we want to experience intimacy, we have to put that guard down, right? We have to open up and let people actually get to know who we are behind the mask. And so we have to allow intimacy in, in order to experience intimacy. And that's with others, but also even with ourselves, right? And if we are going to truly know ourselves and love ourselves, we don't get to just love ourselves when we perform the character we think we're supposed to be. If I don't, as a type one, if I'm saying like, let's start your self-love journey, 
And they're like, awesome. I love myself when I'm perfecting. I love myself when I live up to my own standards. I love myself when I'm never resting or putting my guard down and trusting that I everything's going to be okay if sometimes I just rest then they're not getting to to access true love, right? They're accessing conditional love. They're accessing love that only penetrates the surface. And what I want for you in, in your self-love journey is, is a love that penetrates to the depths of your being because and, and is unwavering, right? Is, is unwavering to the point where you can show up completely differently than you intend to and have seasons where you cannot show up as you intend to and you are still loved. And um, so, right, we don't want to cause harm. That's not the goal. But we also don't want to limit intimacy and limit access to love. And a lot of times what we do here is we think our Enneagram type is the way to be and we, we value ourselves and others based off of how well we live up to our expectations of our personality type. So I value you if you're successful. I value myself if I'm successful. I value you if you're selfless. I value me if I'm selfless. I value you if you're constantly fixing yourself. And I value me if I'm constantly fixing myself. I, you know, as a seven, I value myself if I'm happy and satisfied and not complaining. I value you if you're happy and satisfied and not complaining. When we're in our unconscious state where we believe that our personality is who we are, it's so limiting. It's so limiting to our access to love for ourselves and to other people. And then number three, we miss out on things that we truly desire. So maybe you identify as an introvert who deeply craves loving friendships. And so these two things are in conflict. Or maybe you're an action-repressed Enneagram type who has goals and dreams that they want to accomplish, but you're kind of first response to stress is to withdraw and to maybe give up. So you have to, if you want to do the things that you want to do, you have to act differently. You, you're you going to, you know, what's the saying? Like you do the same, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. And so if we have things that we want that are different than what we've been doing or we've been getting, we have to act differently. We have to show up differently. And so if we believe that we are our type, we are our personality, then the opportunity for growth feels impossible, if not very, very difficult or meaningless even, right? If I believe I'm always going to be someone who starts things and doesn't finish them, we wouldn't be here on season four of this podcast, right? I wouldn't be here like four years deep into something and I wouldn't be recommitting every single season to another round. I would be giving up when things got hard. I would be backing up when I'm like, whoa, this isn't feeling good to me anymore. And so embracing, yes, this is who I am, but also it's not all that I get to be, right? So we limit ourselves so much when we over-identify with our categories, So let me be clear, though, first, (laughs) as we're here, right, I I am saying that by over-identifying with these titles, we often, it's very likely that we will ignore the harm that we cause ourselves and others. It's very likely that we will limit our access to intimacy. 
both with ourselves and others. And it's also likely that we're going to miss out on things that we truly desire just because they're not what we normally do. It's limiting. But I can hear the opposite of this. I can hear what you think I might be saying by saying this. And I want, I want to be as clear as, as clear as day on this. I am not saying that these categories are bad. Okay, I'm not saying that the Enneagram is bad or that extroverted introvert is bad or that being type A or type B is bad or knowing these things about ourselves is bad or even that like we have to be the opposite of it. So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I think they're very useful, but we have to honor their limitations. We have to put them in the right position in our lives and we have to be the driver of the ship, right? So I'm not going to say, I'm a seven, so this is who I am, this is who I will always be. I'm going to say, whoa, okay, my defense mechanism is positive thinking, escapism, um, following the good feeling, you know, planning for the future events that could make me happy, even though I'm, because I I don't know how to be in the present moment. I'm going to instead go, okay, the Enneagram has given me this information about these things that I tend to do. Are these things that I want to do? Is this how I want to respond right now? What would be a better response in this moment? Is this something that I could shift? What if I showed up like a four in this situation? What would a four do? Let's play with the energy in that. Like what part of me can show up like a four? Number two, I am not saying that you need to fix yourself, right? Or that there's something wrong with your Enneagram type or something wrong with you that you need to solve or fix. Um, So I think for me, (laughs) the opposite that I did was go, okay, my Enneagram type is bad. Everything about my type is, is wrong or bad. And so I need to stop it. I need to just stop being that type. I need to fix myself completely and never do that again. And... And that's where I think it's important that we talk about brain science a little bit. And I am not a brain scientist. That is not the term. So clearly I'm not a brain scientist. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. Think about someone who has changed your life for the better. How incredible would it be if your company could find more of those life-changing people right when you needed them. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So you don't have to spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. You can find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. And if you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. I have had the pain point of going through job site to job site, hoping to find the right candidates, only to be sifting through tons of people who aren't even looking for the job I'm posting. That's why I love Indeed, especially their instant match feature. Because with Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. So join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
Indeed knows that when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. And that's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. Visit indeed.com slash egram to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash egram. That's indeed.com slash egram. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. These habits aren't just like, this isn't just like I put on a shirt in the morning and then I take it off at night. It's like, These are deeply ingrained wounds and coping mechanisms that have been built over time. And we've built these like very consistent neuro pathways when we receive information, our body literally sends signals and we respond the way that we've always responded because maybe at some point that was rewarded for us, right? Like I... um, You know, I respond this way and then that, that worked for me once. And so now we're kind of we're going to respond that way next time and that's going to work and then we're, you know, we're going to keep going. So we need to notice that because I'm not going to just all of the setting going to be able to completely rewire my entire system overnight. And I don't think that I should, right? There's so many beautiful things about all of the Enneagram types. And if we all looked the same, it would be boring, but also unsustainable. Like we need each other. We need the differences of each and of personality types. So I'm not asking you to like turn yourself into milk toast and just not have a being, not have a personality. But I am saying pay attention to when you're using that personality and it's not serving you. It's not nourishing you. It's not nourishing others. And ask yourself, is this level appropriate for the situation? Or is this response appropriate for the situation? Is there a response I would rather choose? And allow yourself the opportunity to choose that. You know, allow yourself access to intimacy. Allow yourself access to whatever it is that you are blocking yourself from through your type. Okay? So I am not saying take out everything about your type and and your type is bad and anything about your type is being wrong. It's more just like, Am I using, am I like, I have this skill that serves me. Is this the appropriate time to use that skill? I think that, I think that's as simple as that. The other thing I'm not saying is I'm not saying that you will ever get rid of your ego. So if we think of the Enneagram or your personality as your ego, um, I think a lot of times in new self-help world, we talk about eliminating, eliminating the ego, um, getting rid of the ego, like, being like, and people are like, I am so enlightened. I have released my ego, which sounds like so egotistical to me. So like this concept of I'm going to release my ego is so, uh, in fact, like, I think I'm much more inclined to think along the lines of Alan Watts when he said the biggest ego trip is getting rid of your ego. And of course, the joke of it all is that your ego does not exist. There is nothing to get rid of. It is an illusion. As I have tried to explain, but still you ask how to stop the illusion, but who is asking? That's Alan Watts. So um, that being said, like if we think about, if we replace ego with Enneagram type, personality type, um, it reads like this. The biggest ego trip is getting rid of your Enneagram type. And of course, the joke of all of it all is that your Enneagram type does not exist. There is nothing to get rid of. It is an illusion, as I have tried to explain. 
but still you ask how to stop the illusion, but who is asking? Right? There's nothing to get rid of because you are not your Enneagram type. You are like this deep, complex being that has some coping mechanisms. Okay. And then the fourth thing is I am not in any way saying like no excuses, ship up or ship out. Like that energy is not here (laughs) at all. This stuff is so hard. These neural pathways that I talked about earlier, like those are mostly solidified by the time you were 25. So just to be clear, like past the point of 25, rewiring those things, it takes time. It takes practice. It takes wanting to do it. And I don't think that we want to improve because we're shamed into it. Right. I don't I don't think that's it. And who is even who is even like categorizing what improvement means for you? I can't tell you what improvement is for you. You know, I think the Enneagram system has suggestions, but I don't think that the Enneagram is your God. Right. Like, I don't think the Enneagram system gets to tell you what growth looks like for you. Um, I think that there's some like health, you know, your therapist and you can have that conversation together and a good therapist is going to point you back to yourself and help you to come to those understandings yourself because at the end of the day, like you are your own boss and it's your job to decide, you know, where do I want to grow? Where, what feels nourishing to me right now? What doesn't? And then work on that if you want to. So just so you know, like I am not coming to you with the the sense and I don't want you to come to yourself with the attitude of like no excuses, get it together, get out the door, right? I want you instead to go, what's working for me? What's what's not working for me? And how can I make some improvements? So that's what I'm not saying. So let's get into what I am saying. I am saying that you have the ability to operate in any way that is nourishing to you. And, I mean, you have the ability to operate in any way that is destructive, too. Like, let's be honest. But I want you to be invited into the space of choosing for yourself what is nourishing right now. Not living only in the space of how doing things the way you've always done them. Second, I am saying that just because you identify as one thing doesn't mean that you should ignore the part of you that identifies with different elements. So I'm more interested in the use of these tools than in the titles they offer you, right? So are you an extrovert or did that coffee just feel really good to you and you left with more energy? And sometimes you have coffee with someone and you leave and it leaves you with less energy and that's good information. Um, Does titling yourself as an extrovert make you feel like you should always appreciate time with other people or make you make decisions that don't feel super nourishing for you? Uh, Do are you an Enneagram 2 or do you are you an Enneagram 2 but then because you're like I'm supposed to be loving and kind and nice and selfless feel a lot of resentment in your life because people aren't doing the same for you like looking out for you the way you're looking out for them And so it's actually causing you more frustration to identify this way than it would to let that identity go. Um, I'm also like, I am saying that typological growth isn't about fixing or solving yourself. So 
It's more about letting yourself be nourished, not blocking the nourishment that is like all around you. So kind of going back to type two here, type two is seeking love, right? But then at the same time, they're actively blocking their ability to access it by deflecting compliments, by never asking for what they need, by becoming resentful, by overgiving. Or a type seven, let's pick on myself here. I seek desperately for happiness while making happiness so complicated that it can sometimes be really hard to find or making rash decisions for myself that write me out of my ability to be happy in the long term if we aren't our personality type. And at the same time, we are likely to never stop being our personality type, which is kind of cruel to to say, right? Like we are not our type and like you're pretty solid at this point. If you're over 25, like it's pretty solidified that this is who you are. Um, It's gonna take some conscious growth to move into new patterns. Like what the hell are we supposed to do at this point, right? Like this is, we are not our type, but we also are kind of inevitably our type. Like how rude for me to to bring you here. So here is what I want to encourage you to do. Number one, first is just practice like what I call like release and love. Okay, like release and love. Like you don't have to perform. You don't have to show up perfectly. You don't have to fix everything. You don't have to fix yourself all the time. Like sometimes we have a certain response that we're going to want to bring to the table. And what if instead we just release, release our expectations, release our illusion of control, release the pressure to be something that we feel like we have to be, release the pressure for other people to be who we think they have to be. And then just what would I do if I operated out of love? What, how would I talk to this person? How would I talk to myself? How, what would I, what behaviors would I choose if I were operating out of love? So that's like baseline. Okay. I can just pull this out in an emergency, right? But when it comes to really like steady growth and you're like, I really want to build some new practices Here's what I would encourage you to do. Identify where you block yourself from what it is that you truly want. Let's talk about that by Enneagram type because that's the the system that we talk about the most here. So type ones, they seek to be good, but they block that by setting unrealistically high standards for themselves and others. I just want to say really quickly that I'm giving you one possible way that this could look by Enneagram type. Every type is so complex that I could give you infinite ways in which we do this, but this is just kind of the one that's on my mind right now for you. But think for yourself, right? Like think what what resonates for you. So, um, all right, the ways that we block what we really want. So type one, we did that one. Type two, you know, type two seek love, but they block it by giving and becoming resentful. Type threes seek success, but they block their access to truly enjoying their lives, which would actually feel successful. Type fours seek identity, but block their most true identity because they're seeking an identity out of themselves. You know, am I an artist? Am I a writer? Am I a race car driver? Or, you know, instead of really getting to know who they are without those titles. Fives seek information, but they block the information that comes from their bodies. You know, there's so much information in our bodies. If you read The Body Keeps the Score, fives, that will change your life. I'm just saying, throwing that out there for you. (laughs) 
Type six, they seek support, but they block their access to self-support. Sevens, we seek happiness, but we block our access to present happiness by being so focused on happiness we could get in the future. Eights seek to know that they won't be betrayed, but they block this by not allowing true intimacy with people where they're vulnerable. Type nines seek to be connected, but they block this by not sharing themselves with others. So identify for yourself what you may be blocking that you truly want in the name of your personality type. So maybe you're seeking friendship, but you claim that you're an introvert. Um, so you think like, oh, I'm an introvert, so I'm going to do introvert things, but you actually have like a desire to be friends and it might be helpful to operate a bit more like an extrovert for a while. So notice that and then what habit do you want to build to develop new neuropathways? So like we talked about earlier, right? Like this conundrum of we aren't our personality type, but also our personality type is pretty well solidified by the time we're 25. We can build new neuropathways. We can expand our neuroplasticity of our brains, which is basically just the flexibility of our brains and our ability for our brains to change and grow. And we do this by continued repetitive behavior, um, new repetitive behavior, basically habits and routines. So identify for yourself what is a habit or routine that I can do to develop a neuropathway that supports what I believe I'm blocking. So an example of this is type seven, right? I'm seeking happiness, but I'm blocking it by being so future oriented or by spending all my money on a plane ticket and then not having money to put into retirement. So um, in that situation, right, if I'm blocking present happiness, then maybe I build a presence practice. Maybe I meditate every day or I journal on my five senses every day. Maybe I read the book I'm currently reading every day, which is Your True Home, The Everyday Wisdom of Thich Nhat Hanh, which is basically a book on daily presence. That is helping me so much, friends. If you are seven and you're working on presence, just reading that book every day is very useful. Um, Maybe you develop a walking meditation practice, something that brings you into the present moment every single day. So that's my challenge for you all today is identify what you're blocking and identify a habit that you can do or a routine, just one, not a bunch, one at a time, friends. This is, this is why we don't follow through with our habits because we try to f- change the whole ship at one time. Just pick one <laughs> and just do it and see how it feels. And I'm going to leave you today with a quote from Dr. Pavel Simov. It says, you wear your psychology a certain way, but you are not what you wear. You are not your psychological disguise. You are not your personality mask. You might find it interesting that the word personality comes from the Latin word persona, which means a mask. No need to confuse the mask with the original face behind it. This mask, like all camouflage, has an adaptive function. If you have it, it must have helped you survive. If you feel safe enough now to take it off, do. If you can't, you can't. But even if this camouflage has become your second skin, even if you cannot take it off on demand, you can still know that it is but a layer, a psychological covering, a manner in which you manifest, a way others experience you, 
a conditioned role you play out on the stage of life. In other words, you don't have to strip all of the way down to know that you have clothes on. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining me today. And let me know if there is a self-help myth or a personal story that you would like for me to debunk for you. Call or text it in to 828-338-9127. And that number is always in the show notes for you as well. Thank you all so much for being here. And I will see you tomorrow for the next one. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.